Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharatwarta podcast. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have with me Abhishek Paul and Nirav Kanodra to run you through the news and events of the week that was uh, and it's been an eventful week. Uh, we had the Karnataka election results uh, come out. We're going to talk about that uh, in uh, some fair detail. And then our neighbors, Pakistan, are in turmoil again. Uh, former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been jailed and the country is uh, seeing protests everywhere right now. Then there were suspected terrorists arrested in Telangana and Madhya Pradesh. Uh, there was a case of a massive drug bust by the Indian Navy uh, to the tune of maybe something worth 15,000 crores or so. Uh, right, And then there was the Starbucks ad that a lot of people on social media were talking about. All of this and more on this Bharatwarta Weekly. So if you're new to the channel, we publish episodes on politics, policy and culture. Do follow or subscribe to us on your favorite platform to stay tuned. Hey Abhishek, hey Nirav, let's talk about the Karnataka election results. It was uh, the news of last week. The Congress party won the 2023 Karnataka Assembly elections, defeating the incumbent Bharatiya Janata Party or the BJP. The Congress won 136 seats in the 224 member assembly, while BJP won 65 seats and the Janata Dal Secular won 19 seats. The Congress party's victory is seen as a major comeback after it was defeated in the 2018 elections. Abhishek, we did a couple of episodes on this. We did one analysis with uh, Rohit and uh, Prasanna. Uh, and, and then, of course, we had uh, Tejasvi Surya, who was the MP from Bangalore South, uh, on the podcast as well. Um, obviously, we, we thought it would be close, but it seems like, you know, it uh, is very favorably in, in uh, the Congress camp, right? Uh, so, what do you make of this? We will need a lot of time for people to fully digest um what happened but i would say some of my initial thoughts are like this is probably the worst defeat that the bjp has faced under pm modi since 2015 delhi elections i think um, i would say this is uh, in that kind of a zone of uh, underperformance by the bjp or let's put it this way uh, sort of surprise right like you they have obviously lost quite a few elections in the past, but delta between the expectation and the outcome would be, this one was like very high, right? Because even the, those who were expecting that maybe the Congress would win, they expected BJP to get maybe 80, 90 or close to 100 seats and then a minor sort of narrow victory for the Congress. But this time Congress sort of had a 7% vote share advantage right which is quite impressive right so one thing that's kind of being talked about is bjp actually did not lose any vote share versus 2018 right so that time as well it was about 36 percent this time as well it is 36 percent but i think hindustan times has a very interesting sort of analysis where they found that bjp lost votes in the seats which where it had done very well last time, right? Where it had, uh, let's say, 40 to 50% vote share or more than 50% vote share. That is the seats where it had done very well and won. Those are the seats where it has sort of seen attrition of votes. While it has picked up votes in seats where it used to have very little vote share, right? Where it was less than 5% vote share or less than 20% vote share. Those kind of seats is where it has picked up votes, but 
even after picking up it's in when you start from a very low base it doesn't amount you to you know getting the seat so net net the bjp despite having the sort of same sort of vote share has uh, ended up losing i think 40 odd seats right from last time so yeah i think uh, i mean you have to give full credit to the congress party right uh, when it comes to you know managing to contain the local state level rift that might have been there uh, between their two major leaders right here which are sidaramaiya and dk shiv kumar uh, so they managed to work together in a sort of you know concerted fashion they were able to uh, build a narrative of the current uh, bjp government especially post the change of cm right midway through last term with uh, cm bobai his so even though he sort of looked at as personally clean right his administration was tainted with the allegations of corruption charges right whether they have the pay cm campaign or the 40% commission sort of moniker all all those sort of allegations probably managed to create a dent then of course there was mismanagement of the economy or the administration in rural areas right where so if you see bjp managed to sort of do well in urban centers like bangalore or mangalore and of course had its uh, good performance in coastal karnataka right but in other places of the state which are sort of let's say left out of the whole growth story of it and services that is surrounding bangalore right uh, so the sort of lesser well off places of the state is where uh, congress managed to do well you know with their promises of whatever like in terms of welfareism so if you see the bjp and its welfareism i think most of the branding sort of happens via the pm or the central government right and so if you are a voter it always seems that whatever the bjp is doing is doing via its central government schemes uh, and the state government takes a back seat right if it's a bjp government and so you could say that a voter makes a choice that you know the central schemes will anyway continue right with the bjp at, at the center and then you can have more welfare schemes via the congress at the state level because i don't think the bjp at least did not manage to project any signature welfare schemes via its state government right in the last few years the entire sort of credit for anything good that the bjp does typically accrues to the central government right so that is a strength and a weakness i mean if you look at the vote share it has been 36% twice right in 2018 and 2023 but in 2019 the bjp's vote share uh, for the lok sabha election goes to 51% and so it might be too early to sort of write off the bjp for the next election probably i would say they are still for an, and i'm talking about only karnataka i would say they are still favorites to gain majority of the seats next time as well so it will but it will be interesting to see whether they can go back to such a high vote share or it kind of uh, plateaus out in the mid 40s but one thing is clear i think in number of elections that we have seen in the last 5 6 years is that there are many voters who vote 
for the BJP in the Lok Sabha and then they sort of choose to vote for another party, be it the Congress or some regional party in the assembly elections, right? And so, you know, elect the electorate is sort of discerning in their choice at different levels of government. Yeah, very well summarized. Uh, I just have a couple of points to add. I think, uh, you know, the Congress started this whole campaign maybe a year back, right? Uh, so props to them. They were able to bring two people who wouldn't see eye to eye earlier, right? Uh, DK Shukumar and Sidramaya uh, on the same platform and work for the party, right? I mean, it will be interesting to see how they will handle this going further now. Who becomes CM and, you know, what the equation uh, evolves to be, right? But somewhere I feel the BJP state leadership is in like a transition phase. Also, in, very important to understand, right? I mean, because they've had such a tall leader like uh, V.S. Yadurapa ji, right? Who single-handedly perhaps built the party in the state. Uh, and you're going to have this transition problem, right? I mean, once he he has moved on. So that, along with losing the narrative, uh, perhaps on this, you know, 40% Sarkara, that, you know, the allegations that the state administration is weak, rudderless and that things were not happening and so on and so forth right and just to add to what abhishek says you know this i don't think will reflect on the 2024 lok sabha elections obviously karnataka votes very differently in the in the lok sabha elections right and uh, there were 8 lakh people on the road uh, for uh, prime minister modi right considering that you know perhaps 50 lakh people in bangalore voted or thereabouts right 8 lakhs is a significant number you can't ignore that at least right so the Prime Minister is immensely popular and uh, while it's not an indictment of any sorts on the 2024 elections, I don't think this is some sort of a foreboding fear. But I do feel that it's a time for reflection and introspection for the state unit, right? And hopefully things change. All right, uh, moving on from the local to international, uh, former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan was arrested on April 10th, 2023. After he led a rally in Islamabad to protest the government's decision to dissolve the National Assembly, this arrest led to mass protests and violence across the country with people setting buildings and vehicles on fire and storming homes of army personnel. The Supreme Court declared the arrest as illegal and granted bail to uh, the former Prime Minister uh, Imran Khan, however, continued to hold uh, rallies and protests against the government. Nirav, I mean, they say that, you know, the, the Pakistan Prime Minister, right? I mean, usually it's either the Prime Minister's house and then from there straight to the, the jail or, you know, Rahul Pindi or wherever, right? Uh, that Those are the only two routes open in political leadership in Pakistan. What do you see happening there? Oh, yeah. So, few things. So, one is Pakistan has three major political parties. PTI or Pakistan Tehreek e Insaf is led by Imran Khan. PPP, Pakistan People's Party, which is right now led by Bilawal Bhutto. Uh, who's the foreign minister and then there is pml pakistan muslim league which is uh, led by nawaz sharif and or sheba sharif now the current prime minister what had happened is pti had come into power in 2018 and at that time kind of with the backing from the army and usually it's the army which calls the shots in pakistan right they really control then uh, imran khan tried to take power away from uh, the army right so that is why he was kind of ousted and then you get a coalition government of the other two parties coming together who are bitter kind of rivals. So you can say like PML has more uh, base, strong base in Punjab, PPP has a stronger base in Singh, uh, PTI is a little bit more in like Khyber Pakhtunwa area but like distributed across the country and uh, that's how it works. So Imran Khan was arrested. It's kind of again you feel the army is pulling the strings behind 
for corruption and for accepting gifts from overseas people and like selling out to foreigners on uh, certain things the main reason is if he is actually convicted for this he is barred from contesting elections again and in pti there is no one else after him who is like another potential leader or a potential pm candidate who can who is popular all across the country so this is probably one of the reasons two is you got like sri lanka like pakistan is a fragile country pakistan depended a lot on us aid but then us aid continued even for a decade after osama bin laden was found there now after us pulled out of afghanistan there is not much interest you had a lot of money flowing in from china for the cpec and that money is also like kind of paused or like on a standstill because of multiple reasons so one is like china probably realizes that getting access of uh, ports in pakistan and karachi then going up the himalayas and again going down the himalayas to reach the coastal parts of china so if you want to ship from shanghai to the middle east or anywhere else or i think going round by sea is much easier uh, rather than this and also uh there have been like real inefficiencies see pakistan is also like a developing country or you would say it's actually a frontier market and their efficiencies of every dollar spent is not as efficiently done things don't get done on time or within budget or you know money there's like leakages corruption or inefficiencies at every stage so that money is also stopped then pakistan has been like dependent on a lot of imports for critical things not the least is like uh, pharmaceuticals oil and also after like russia ukraine war while it's like an agricultural exporter it does import certain agri commodities as well so the food prices have gone up and they've hit people lastly because pakistan was in a very always a comfortable situation of uh, getting loans from the imf which is kind of like us support or from china they did not do like deep structural reforms so they do not have any of the services export industry or like advanced export industry of india india also to be fair is in certain ways a little bit fragile because we import more than we export but we have like a chunk of say software services export right and also like a lot of startups so not just like the huge infi and tcs but you got a huge startup ecosystem lot of companies exporting stuff lot of kpos of multinational companies in india etc right and some manufacturing exports etc so pakistan is very fragile so all these shocks hit the economy very hard there has been a lot of endemic economic mismanagement if not like outright corruption where a not a lot of welfare actually reaches to people on the ground there has been like rampant inflation in 1991 like indian rupee was much weaker than the pakistani rupee right and india done its reforms etc and then india has continuously kind of been on a path of improvement uh, 1 has been more than 300 pakistani rupees right versus roughly 81 or 82 indian rupees i think so you've got a pakistani rupee which is kind of you can say almost like uh, one indian rupee is 3.75 pakistani rupee so sharp weakening of the currency and uh, you have like a lot of the elites who can move their money out overseas they do all of it leaving the rest of the economy kind of in tatters as well so this is when the economy is in doldrums maybe some of it is internal some of it is external some of it is people pulling out aid or like stop giving new aid so you already have a population which is very upset and angry what has actually happened is now earlier the army played the role very well of pitting political parties against each other and anger when one party is in power people blame that and the opposition took advantage here the anger is against the army i think the legitimacy 
that the army had that oh we are here to protect the country or we are here without the army you would not be you be helpless versus say other enemies probably india or uh, whatever it is i think that has flipped i think the people are uh, rallying against the army which was like one of the most celebrated institutions in pakistan and that is the army officers are being attacked if like imran khan would have been like uh, convicted by the courts uh, he would be barred from election that might have caused more riots or more real idea but now that he's out he's again making political speeches he is kind of now pointing fingers at the army right that it is an organization which is leeching out resources from the country for its own benefit whereas leaving very little for the common person on the street this has resonated somewhere uh, amongst the people and uh, instead of like attacking either the politicians from the ruling coalition in pml or like ppp i think the anger is against the army so very interesting times some people are saying it's kind of civil war there are rumors if not true there are a lot of countries have asked the embassies to vacate and leave pakistan including china who's like has been an all weather ally uh, that is also very interesting and uh, so let's see what happens i think things always muddle around somewhere in between they're never as bad as like the worst kind of nightmare scenarios which people point out and never really rosy that everything will work out fine so uh let us see what it's like a decent turning point or a decent i think it's a break in the narrative like the story was going in one direction and now it's like a break and uh, with army having almost 100% control regardless who's in power that maybe it could change now yeah uh, i'm halfway through listening to the ani podcast with smita prakash uh, she has hosted uh, sushant sarin and tilak uh, devashar right uh, and they are talking about uh, this whole Imran Khan situation I mean a lot of interesting insights and anecdotes on that uh, podcast I highly recommend you guys check it out I particularly found the the bit about whether Imran Khan is a force for good for India or not an interesting uh, thing right I mean Sushant Sarin of course is vehemently for the fact that you know Imran Khan is great for Pakistan right because he has weakened all of their uh, you know natural allies whether it's US or China and so on and ergo better for uh, India and uh, you know mr devashar has a slightly different perspective that you know a weakened pakistan could be like a rabid dog and it could attack anyone anywhere right so there is no sense of a reason uh, as such but yeah very comprehensive analysis on that podcast and uh, this is so fascinating just the internal dynamics right because the army was always seen as you know teflon right above everything else the one lasting legacy as so such and i uh, would say uh carry that even imran khan is making a slight adjustment in his rhetoric where he has now changed from going after the army wholesale to the army chief alone basically even he realizes that if he has to come to power he'll need the army's backing and so he's turned the sort of direction of his attacks solely towards the army chief new army chief right and essentially he's trying to sort of thread a needle whereby the public anger is sort of solely on the army chief they're able to get that guy you know out and because what is also true is that within the army as well there are many who like and back imran khan right so there are multiple factions and things like that so and that is also another sort of angle was so apparently apparently imran khan is hugely popular among the army vibes yes <laughs> that was also right? one of the so he's he's like a proper um, cult leader at at the moment right i mean 
none of the other uh, political parties uh, i mean from the same podcast if you uh, listen to them the only sort of potentially comparable politician in terms of popularity and charisma would be actually the daughter of nawaz sharif that is maryam nawaz so she is supposed to be very charismatic and a good orator and all that but right now of course it is the brother of nawaz sharif the former cm of punjab right who is the sort of leading this coalition government shahbaz sharif sharif i mean the fact that the ppp and the pakistan muslim league uh, have come together is a bit like how if in india bjp and congress came together to form a government i mean it is obviously not going to be even for them a very sort of comfortable ride right but what has happened in pakistan is that their kejriwal has become sort of all powerful and uh, a true cult leader nationally so that's where we are all right moving on uh, the madhya pradesh police arrested six suspected terrorists on march 8th uh, from the state's capital of bhopal uh, the terrorists were allegedly planning to carry out attacks in the city the police recovered a large cache of weapons and explosives from the terrorist position and apparently these folks were linked to the isis as well uh, similar operations have been carried out in telangana also abhishek i mean is this cause for alarm or is this just a routine operation what do you think from the reports that i have seen basically a total of 16 people have been arrested across madhya pradesh and telangana 11 in madhya pradesh from various locations in and around bhopal and then the remaining from hyderabad basically these people are alleged to be having links with the outfit hisbut tehreer and so you know they found various kinds of incriminating evidence and obviously these guys are alleged to be you know working for some sort of you know jihad in india right which is i mean we've had some of these cases in the past as well although i think since the sort of winding down of simi etc we we see less uh, an indian mujahideen we see less of these uh, kind of news from india uh, or or the i would say uh, indian uh, cities and in the heartland right uh, we still obviously see many of these kind of things in jammu and kashmir but less from the rest of the parts of the country but yeah i think i wouldn't say it's a sort of regular police arrest but it certainly seems to be something where there has been made well in time uh, before there were any sort of imminent attacks being planned etc i would only say just look at uh, you know rvs money's uh, book on hindu terror for how much of a common place this was for the 10 years prior to uh, 2014 right i mean uh, uh, thankfully you know when things like this happen i mean they become news uh, and it's become rare enough uh, to that end right so all right starbucks recently aired a new advertisement which shows an elderly couple accepting their transgender daughter for the first time the ad has faced backlash on social media for being too woke and for promoting a lifestyle that is not in line with traditional indian values with some people praising the ad and some people criticizing it and talking about boycotting the brand the advertisement has sparked massive controversy across the country you know i do i was just thinking of the ads of the 90s right i mean the the ones that we remember whether it's the fevicol ads or whether it is the 
the Cadbury ads, right? And so on. And this was the Piyush Pandey era, right? I think these ads were so awesome that, you know, I remember 20, 25 years after watching them because of the simple reason that it was so rooted, you know, it was rooted to society. Forget about traditional Indian values or whatever. It, it portrayed society as it was, right? As it is. As against, you know, what uh, the, the ad, right? I don't feel one way or another about the ad, right? I mean, and it's a particular brand's calling to do what it chooses uh, legally, ethically, morally, right? But uh, I feel like, you know, looking at it, I, I was just thinking of how many families in India even kind of face this situation, right? It's a minority. And, uh, you know, traditionally, India has been accepting. And somewhere I feel we're copying some of these Western tropes here sort of blindly and making a larger point that doesn't need to be done, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's uh, this country... For sure, I mean, has many ills, right? But uh, one thing that it doesn't have is the dogma of uh, difference in human nature as such, right? Because we saw things for what they are. And uh, the ad, I don't know. I mean, the ad itself is pretty mediocre. I mean, I didn't find anything, like it's very obvious and it's very mediocre. I didn't find anything like spectacular about it. But one thing to note also is that, you know, Starbucks has, uh, in the US and in the West, I mean, Starbucks has played an important part in the whole LGBT movement as well. Uh, in a few cases, they've sponsored a lot of legal work, you know, petitions and whatnot, uh, right? For whatever it is. I mean, it could be a, very well be a business decision and, you know, they, more, they may want to curry favor with a particular community, etc., right? That is their own choosing. Uh, but I just felt, you know, it was uh, sort of inappropriate, right? Um, and sort of misplaced. Uh, and I was just thinking back to what Nirav mentioned sometime back on the podcast, right? Where we spoke about, you know, this gay marriage and, you know, if India is ready for it and whatnot. I think somewhere you have to sort of take the society along with you and, uh, you know, talking about things, trying to engineer things when the society is not ready for it will just cause a massive revulsion, right? Which is what you're seeing in the West as well, right? where, where I, I feel like they're overcorrected right now. If you look at the trans movement in the West, where they're simply saying, you know, any man, any woman, any person can just choose to be their gender, not just two genders, but I don't know what it is, right? I mean unending list of genders, 60, 70, 80, who knows, right? And uh, that has just uh, been harmful in general uh, of uh, social acceptance, right? Uh, from that perspective, because, you know, the average person who would perhaps not care too much about all of these issues today cares, right? Because, uh, you know, it has come down to teaching their kids about sex and, you know, transgenderism and, and whatnot, right? So I do feel that, you know, the LGBTQ plus whatever movement has to be cognizant of that right has to learn from the mistakes that people have made in the west and uh, sort of be more conscious of the society you know so yeah uh, you guys have any comments i just want to say from like an advertising perspective right so you mentioned like fevicol and you mentioned uh cadbury's so what what those ads did that fevicol showed like a lot of those things where one stuck by Fevicol couldn't, you know, you, their symbol logo also was like elephants pulling out a ball, right? And uh, all their ads were basically that. That they say that, you know, like one stuck with Fevicol doesn't come out. So whenever you needed an adhesive, either for household things or industrial things or whatever, that brand stuck in your mind that Fevicol is the best adhesive that there is there. You thought like Asian paints with all those like shade cards and like Miravala green and Miravala pink and all those kind of things. They said, hey, Whatever color you want for your house, it's available with Asian paint. So, like, uh, Cadbury's actually was a very thought-out campaign. I think, kuch ha, khas hai zindagi mein, 
was to promote one was adults consuming that it's okay for adults to have cadbury's chocolate and you can have it any time like your uh, beloved hits a 6 and hits a century have a celebrate by having a cadbury's dairy milk right so basically it opens up the market only from kids to adults everyone right that everybody can have cadbury's and this was like all of these they had like a commercial sense commercial impact now for starbucks it has been more of a virtue signaling thing does it say that trans people are friendly to uh, coming into starbucks and like being a customer probably does it say that the cool people have uh, stuff at starbucks uh, you consume starbucks products because they are trans friendly well, as you said like possibly whatever the percentage is is really small of order magnitude of 1% or less right and india has its own like history we've had the what you would call the third gender the hijadas you have all of that in our society in our culture in our mythology also or like you can say history or mythology why it's not exactly trans but like arjuna cross dresses as brihanala i think in uh, the one year in exile when they are in disguise right so we have had all this and india is a very accepting society right it's none of your business if somebody wants to be called i think it was arpita or arpita that's fine that is their problem now the question is even from like the way uh, certain parts of the woke thing is there this is very parallel i think to like so ussr and in china in the early days of communism where you have to keep showing brandishing that i am communist i am communist so here you have to say oh uh, every company every business has to say that oh i am woke i ha- have to show this i have to show this signaling and they left to like commercial decisions were left aside you it was more important for you to show your credentials what you stand for in like terms of ideology instead of what you stand in terms of a product or a service which you are offering to your customers right so i think this has been lost and uh, you see a lot of it a little bit more in the west i feel it doesn't matter uh, whoever is whatever what they choose to do is their problem it doesn't affect me and uh, if i were either in the ad agency or i was starbucks india uh, manager i was thinking that how does this affect because there will be some people who will be outraged there will be some people who will be happy and say oh this stands with my values and i'll consume more of starbucks and some people say that okay maybe no publicity is bad publicity so everybody we are still talking about it right so uh, maybe that's that but i i am not super sure that it makes as clear commercial sense as we said about like the ad in the 1990s right like the same thing with all the pepsi coke ads though now it consume none of them but pepsi coke comes up at one point of time in the 90s they are like very creative ads right uh, nothing official about it when the official sponsor was coke so pepsi says there's nothing official about it etc they all made commercial sense they were aimed at selling more of the product whereas this ad is aimed at uh, brandishing its credentials so yeah yeah it might appeal to a certain south bombay crowd that anyway probably thinks uh, starbucks is down market right so i, yeah, I don't so, know yeah so exactly right? exactly yeah um and i for one have had enough of you know brands taking any social political stances man i mean i, I like you know i don't want my coffee place to tell me one thing or the other right i, I don't it, want it doesn't say whether it is good coffee whether it yeah. is good coffee bad coffee exactly exactly i mean i think we could all just hark back to some simpler times you know on that note
And finally, on Saturday in a joint operation, the Indian Navy Coast Guards and the NCB seized approximately 2,500 kgs of high-purity methamphetamine valued at about 15,000 crores in the Indian waters. Seizure is part of Operation Samudra Gupt, targeting maritime trafficking of drugs originating from Afghanistan. This is the third major seizure affected by NCB with regards to maritime trafficking through the southern route in the last one and a half years. Approximately 3,200 kilograms of methamphetamine, 500 kilograms of heroin and 529 kilograms of hashish have been seized in the operation so far. So, Nirav, just the simple quantity and the value of the drugs really blew my mind, right? I mean, we're talking about 2,500 kilograms of meth and 15,000 crores. At this scale, I mean, it could actually move the needles on, you know, import-export numbers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, I was actually going to come to that. So, if you think about it, I think India, every month, the stats are roughly, imports were, are about 45 and exports are about uh, 27, 28. So, basically 17, 18 billion dollars of uh, trade deficit we have and all services exports, which I like, uh, spoken earlier, are about 13. So, net deficit is about 4, 5 billion dollars a month. And now, I don't know how frequent is this, but if this is like a billion dollars or 2 billion dollars. So, 8,000 crores is about 1 billion dollars. So, like 15,000 crores is almost 2 billion dollars worth of drugs are coming in. Obviously, when some payments are made, you kind of have some fake imports about like some other things and some other invoicing or some hawala mechanism is done where these payments are going out. So, that itself is like huge. Uh, second thing, apart from that, right, I think like drugs are like a social band. Uh, drug addicts, if any one of you all has been unfortunate to come across, all these drugs kind of like mess up with people's minds and they resort to other crimes to support their habit. So at a smaller level, low, uh, lower level, etc. And this is also, it kind of makes a person, an addict, unproductive for the society in general. Right? So I think that's a very, very bad thing. I'm happy that the Navy and this Operation Samudra, we are NCB, Narcotics Board, is able to capture some of it. But it also tells you how much maybe more is going undetected. We don't know. We don't know if bigger size is uh, going through or is it like smaller size and uh, this operation samudra gupt is great like we're catching something uh, they are saying that this is coming in from afghanistan afghanistan is a landlocked country obviously so then uh, probably via pakistan or maybe iran if i'm not sure and then it is coming into india so uh, this is also there i think these captures uh, it's a uh, good thing that they are seized and hopefully destroyed. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there are probably many, many more linkages which should be seen at and how is like money flowing in. Uh, this size of like a consignment also could be like a big blow to criminal syndicates either side, like from the supplier side or the distributors who are in India. And I think more pers people who are involved in this uh, illegal activity also should be arrested. But yes, exactly. The numbers numbers are quite mind-blowing that uh, this size is uh, really huge and uh, hopefully one way or another this is brought an end. But with like Afghanistan uh, kind of uh, being like lawless and uh, kind of like while it's being governed by Taliban, there are a lot of militias controlling different parts and like 
uh, the only way or the easy way for them to like make a lot of money is by exporting drugs. So uh, heroin in particular, I don't know what methamphetamines, but yeah. So uh, poppy is a big crop in Afghanistan, and uh, uh, that is like a real social evil, like uh, to all the people involved. So the world would be better off without it. So hopefully, yes, uh, this is like clamped down and. Uh, all the people who are involved probably caught, but that's very hopeful. Yeah, I mean, we could have our own version of Breaking Bad uh, here, I think, given the quantity and the value, right? All right, with that, we come to the end of uh, this edition of Bharatwarta Weekly. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help more people discover our content. Uh, we have a couple of very interesting episodes uh, lined up, more than a couple. In fact, uh, we have. Uh, uh, Amit Paranjpe, who has hosted Dr. Uday Kulkarni on his latest book on Madhavrao Peshwa. And we'll be publishing that uh, next week. And then we have a couple of conversations lined up on the Velina's talk series. One with Peter Zihan and another with Dimitar Bechev. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of geopolitical content coming up as well. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, stay safe, take care and Jai Hind.